to you from Philadelphia, PA, the city of brotherly love and sisterly affection. I am Lisa Sharon Harper, president of Freedom Road, a consulting group dedicated to shrinking the narrative gap. And we want to welcome you to the Freedom Road podcast. Each month, we speak with national faith leaders, advocates, and activists to have the kinds of conversations we normally have on the front lines. It's just that this time we've got microphones in our faces and you are listening in. Now this month we are joined by Reverend Gail Song Bantam, lead pastor of Quest Church, which recently voluntarily cut ties with its denomination, the Evangelical Covenant Church, because of its hard right turn on LGBTQIA inclusion. Now I invited Pastor Gail to speak with us today because she is an eyewitness to a profound come to Jesus moment that is taking place right now inside of white evangelical denominations. She posted her letter to the denomination online and we'll post it here as well. I read it and we're going to talk about it. So we would love to hear your thoughts. Please tweet or Insta me at Lisa S. Harper or to Freedom Road at Freedom Road Us. Plus we're on Substack and Patreon at Freedom Road. Please keep sharing the podcast with your friends and networks and letting us know what you think. Okay, so now let's dive in. <laughs> so, Gail, hmm. can I ask you first, we always start with our story because we don't want to enter into the conversation with presuppositions of who we are just based on what the topic is of the day. So I would hmm. love for people to hear your faith story. Can you share with us just in a few minutes? How did you come to faith? Yeah, no, first of all, thank you for having me on. It's a it's a joy and a privilege to be here with you. Yeah, I grew up with parents in Chicago. I was born in Chicago, grew up with parents who were really active in church. I was formed, I always tell people I was formed in the Korean immigrant Pentecostal church. And then right around middle school, I moved to Oklahoma with my mother, who was attending Oral Roberts University Seminary and got involved in a Kojic Church of God in Christ, Black Pentecostal church, and oh really gosh. found resonance between the two of a kind of desperate faith, passionate, middle, low, lower middle income wow. community. So my formation at a young age was Pentecostal holiness in the Korean immigrant and in the Black Pentecostal church. That is so interesting. Can you tell me like, because I mean, even in your family, because I know that you have a mixed mm. family, black and Korean. And, and so, and I, I have found that the, like, where, where do you find the resonance in those two cultures? Like, where do you find, like, like, how did your mom end up going to a Kojic church? That's amazing. As a, as a Korean woman, is she, was she first generation, one and a half, second generation? Yeah. So when we moved to Oklahoma, my mother didn't go to the Kojic church. So she she had to do her ministry and internship in the Korean speaking immigrant church. I refused to go. You were like, no. Yeah. Yeah. No. So I ended up going to church with my friends. Oh, went to that church and just got plugged in there. Yeah. Wow. And I think the resonance that I found was really this sense of community. I can see for the Korean immigrants, my parents were first generation Korean speaking church Sundays, whenever they were together was like family was safety right? From Monday through Saturday and the rest of their reality. And same with this particular church that I was part of in Tulsa, 
it felt like safe haven for the community that was there. That's so true. That is so true. So when did you discern the call to the pastorate, especially as a woman? Mm. So backtracking a little bit, when I was baptized in the Korean church, a bunch of older ladies, aunties, prophesied over me and said, you're going to be in ministry. We could see you in ministry. And at the time, I just saw the ruthlessness of how my mother was treated, not only within the Pentecostal church, but Korean culture is very patriarchal. And so she actually struggled inside of that space. And I was actually wanting to be a musician. I was doing music, wanting to go to music conservatory in New York. And so that was my dream. I wanted to be a conductor, right? And so, of course, back then I was like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to go into ministry. Then I go to a music conservatory in New York. After my first year, I go home during summer break and my mother's diagnosed with stage four cancer and, and dies seven weeks later. No. Yeah. And there's something about death that will just shift your perspective on reality, on life, on what you even thought you wanted to do that tomorrow is not promised, especially when it's a parent and the ground just shifts under you. And so it, It's something, I don't even know what it is, but I remember going to church right around the school and just seeing myself, Hmm. like envision myself leading in the context of a church and literally said yes to God. And this is all my Pentecostal belief that the spirit is moving. The spirit goes before us. Yeah. You make sense to me now. (laughs) (laughs) Not that you didn't make sense before, but I mean, you really like, it's like it went you know, because you're an artist mm-hmm. and you have Pentecostal background, which means you are connected to the spirit. Mm-hmm. And I very much believe that artists were created in order for the spirit to flow through and actually mm-hmm. give us, show us new possibilities of being together in the world. Like yes. that's the, that's the, the role of artists in the world. And you also have this call to ministry. I just think, my God, I mean, what you just did with the ECC makes total sense to me now. It makes total, you know, because it's not science. When you're, when we are navigating this really treacherous minefield labyrinth of a world that we live in right now, where a lot of the things that we thought were certain and like had, had intrinsic structure when we're realizing actually they really don't. They really were conceived in particular contexts and so therefore are contextual themselves and go poof when you take them out of that context. Like you, science no longer works, right? It's, it's, Mm. it's no longer just a scientific formula. It's art. It's Mm. art. We're moving. We move with the spirit in this world in order to find our way through the labyrinth. And that's why your ministry has had the power that it's, can I ask you, how did that ministry, that you, end up in the Evangelical Covenant Church from the Pentecostal Church? Come on now. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> I, will say, I will say that my whole existence in ministry really is a reluctant pilgrim. Like even from the jump, right? I didn't want to be in ministry. I didn't want to be a pastor. But there's something about the Pentecostal faith and being led by the Spirit where there's this beautiful marriage of obedience and release. 
Mm. and trusting. My fundamental kind of belief is that I am not here to protect God. Hello. But God has always been there to protect me. I think that's the that's the reality of people who occupy marginalized spaces. Like yeah. God has been my defender. God has been my protector and my provider as opposed to me having to defend defend God. Mm-hmm. And in that, God leads us to different spaces and asks things of us and it really is a merry moment. How will this be? Be it unto me according to your will. So how the Evangelical Covenant Church came about was when we moved to Seattle, my husband and I were at Duke for 10 years. I had just graduated from seminary. I actually went to seminary later, even after doing ministry for many years. And when we were here in Seattle, I told the family, hey, y'all, we're going to visit lots of churches. I want to take a break. I'm burned out from ministry. Y'all pick the church that we go to. And so I asked the kids, hey, where do you want to go? And they said, we liked Quest Church. Hmm. And I was like, Quest? It was <laughs> so different, especially back then, what, 14 okay. years ago? Oh, wow. Uh, okay. Yeah. And it wasn't what it is now. It was led by a Korean man, mm-hmm. which if you know my story, that in itself is a trigger. Oh, wow. Okay. It wasn't Pentecostal uh-huh. and it was predominantly white and East Asian. And I was like, really, you want to go to Quest? Okay. Well, (laughs) I said that you can go, we can go wherever you want to go. And then about nine, 10 months later, I ended up on staff. (laughs) Of course, of course. (laughs) As their their worship pastor, young adult pastor, associate pastor. And one of the things in the bylaws of Quest Church in the constitution was every pastor on staff has to either be credentialed with the denomination that they're a part of or in process. And so I remember the interview process of coming on staff and the elder board was like, hey, would you be willing to go through the process of being ordained? And I was like, what denomination is this? And they're like, evangelical covenant. I've never heard of it. Yeah, right. It's very small. And then I looked it up and I was like, it was a Swedish, small Swedish denomination. And I'm coming from, (laughs) right, the black church and Cogent. I I know. And even my friends were like, what are you doing? But it was the, it was part of their, their constitution. So if I was going to come on staff, I had to go through this process. So that's actually how it it feels a little thoughtless, but it, (laughs) it was part of the process. But I think what, what resonated with me though, in my research and getting to know the folks of the covenant is their deep value of empowering women in ministry, their deep value to racial reconciliation, racial justice in word and trying to do it in practice. Okay. That's a nice way to put it. That's good. I mean, I think, (laughs) and they, and they would, they would actually use the language of racial healing versus Mm -hmm. racial justice or racial reconciliation. At least that was when I was with them. Right. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) And that is, that is in full disclosure for everybody. I forgot to say this, that it used to be my denomination as well. And, and I left the denomination for exactly the same reasons that Quest Church just left. So I want you to, can you explain kind of what happened um, inside of the ECC that led to Quest Church deciding to leave? Well, um, so 2018, the founding pastor stepped down. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And up until that point, Quest was Quest resonated as a church with the beliefs of the ECC, the Evangelical Covenant Church, on the issue of LGBTQ plus affirmation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was more progressive on that. I be, I was very inclusive and affirming of our LGBTQ. And I think that's why I initially decided not to apply to be the lead pastor, even though I would I had been the executive pastor for 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, after some prayer and discernment and talking to other people, I decided to candidate to be the lead pastor and decided, yes. Can I just say very quickly that you're taught like you started your story in 2018 and that's when your lead pastor at quest stepped down but the year before that wasn't that the year that the denomination itself began to take this hard turn to the right on the issue of lgbtqia because they had had and i think this is really important for folks to understand especially other leaders of other denominations who might be listening that they had had a statement on lgbtqia Although, of course, they didn't call it that. It was written, I think, in 1995. Is that right? Um, mm-hmm. And and had not updated it and actually had barely enforced it. But then all of a sudden in 2017, decided that, that they were going to then reference this 1995 statement, which yeah. really was not actually a full theological exploration of the issue. It was just a list of verses, quite honestly. And they began to leverage that little statement to then kick churches out of communion and kick leaders out of churches. So that was 2017. Am I right there? Did I did I get that right? I'm not sure exactly on the date, but there it is around that time when the president at the time. Right. This, I mean, the the thing about the covenant that makes it so unique is their value of freedom in Christ. Right. That. Yes. That. A, resolutions, which is the paper you're talking about, mm-hmm. resolutions are non-binding. And there's okay. this, uh, there's Say this that understanding, again. <laughs> right? There's this understanding that we, we can hold difference mm-hmm. and be unified in the non-essentials of faith, which right. human sexuality is a non-essential of faith. And up I until mean, look, that point. Unless, unless people literally want to say that how you have sex or whether you have sex or who you have sex with is literally going to determine whether, whether you, whether Jesus recognizes you when you get to the gates of heaven, like like that's, that's really what this comes down to. And that's, that was my frustration. Mm -hmm. I value integrity and honesty. And when we came into this denomination, when I joined this denomination, that's something that I valued. Even the fact that the covenant says that all clergy, credentialed clergy, you you should be open to baptizing both infants and believers. Now, mm-hmm. I didn't grow up in that tradition, but because they're saying that this is historically what the Big C Church has practiced, we're not going to divide over this. Now, baptism is something that split denominations, Yes. right? Literally. And so it's yes. that kind of value where it's open-handed on the non-essentials that I thought was beautiful, mm-hmm. hard, like, is it even possible? But I thought was beautiful. And so for me, I never, from the jump of leading Quest in this direction, asked the denomination or expected the denomination to change their views or their position on same-sex marriage mm-hmm. or inclusion. It was simply 
am I allowed to actually live into the value you say we hold as a denomination? If not, if you feel like human sexuality is an essential of faith, please let me know because then we do not agree with that and we will leave. Be clear. Because that's not why we joined. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's it's a exactly value right. in the same way that they value racial. What'd you say? Racial healing, racial healing and gender equity. But are they perfect? No, but we're not kicking churches out because of that. Right. And honestly, I could make a case that that is essential. <laughs> Isn't that what they said back in the 19th century when they invented the altar call and they said the reason why we're doing this is because how can you say that you are under the rule of the king of the kingdom of God and yet crush the image of God, right. yet be about the business of crushing the, you just can't do, you can't hold both. So, so I actually would argue that this race thing, and you could also argue gender thing is actually critical to the gospel. A, and yet they're not kicking people out for that. Well, it's like what James Baldwin says, right? We can, we can whole difference as long as your difference diminishes another's humanity yeah doesn't do that right exactly right exactly so so quest church recently made this decision to leave and was there a process with the church that led to that decision or or was it was it more of a an internal thing that you then just let the let the denomination know yeah, so it, going back to my call to be the lead pastor, I actually led my candidating saying that I'm fully affirming that because we're congregational polity, the membership, you're going to have to vote. But I want you to be clear who you're voting in. And th- if you vote me in, I cannot lead a church if I can't be fully authentic right. and walk in integrity. And so it wouldn't be a matter of if we shift, but when and how. And so that was the beginning of our church saying yes, and me gauging, oh, our church is actually ready. It it only required a two thirds vote, 66%. But I actually told myself, I'm not going to take it unless it's over 85%. Because I don't believe the church can survive if we lose more than 15%. That's smart. And it came back 87%. And so when that came back, I was like, okay, this church is ready. I'm going to take my time and care in how we do this pandemic hit, right? And so it's been a lot of realities that have led to this decision, but it's not a surprising decision. It was really about timing and making sure we can get as many people on board, including our elders, in this decision as we disaffiliated with the denomination. These are our stories. You're listening to the Freedom Road podcast, where we bring you stories from the front lines of the struggle for justice. Okay, so Gail, your decision came down to leave. And it was actually, you knew when you were anointed, really, to to take the leadership of Quest Church. It was a question of when, not whether. And you knew that 87% of the people um, that had something to do with the voting you in were good with it. 
So the church is ready. I want to know, let me ask you this, going back on something that you said in the last segment, when you were talking about whether or not you protect God or God protects you. That's just, I, that did strike me. Actually, we were talking on the break with my producer and he said, oh, that struck him too. <laughs> and I, I want to just talk a little bit more about that because I think that that does set, it, it draws a line in the way that we respond to change Absolutely. and the way that we respond to the challenges that are coming. They are just coming like left, right, and center to the things that the church has traditionally, the white Western church has traditionally held as quote, orthodoxy. And so there's a lot of questions that are coming now because there's a decolonization of the faith that are happening. But yet you said, God protects you, you don't protect God. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, it comes from this feeling that you only protect something that you feel like you own. Or you only protect something that you feel like you have a right to. Wow. And that's yours. And right, that's colonialism. That's but when you when you're a person who lived your life always on the margins, just waiting to belong, waiting to be invited into places, and you're always on the edges of society and church and whatever the case may be, given your respective intersections. It really is. Your prayer is often more, God, defend me. Yeah. God, be my advocate. So your vision of God, your lens in which you walk in the world is God as defender. And I think that's the faith of the underside. That's the faith from the ground, faith of the margins of the edges. And in the that faith sense, of brown Jesus, right? Like the faith of colonized Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think that's that's just a different posture that I think we see God, we know God, and who God to be in the world. It's funny because the reason why I really resonated with that is just yesterday I was on the line on a Zoom call that was a kind of a community conversation within a group called Evangelicals for Justice that I helped to, to start a little over a decade ago now. And we were having a really critical conversation about why be evangelical today? Like what is, why be evangelical today? And the principal people presenting were myself and Dr. Soon Chan Ra. And Dr. Ra said something that really, really struck me. He, he said mm -hmm. that, and he gave the history, because that's actually the next book that he has coming out, the history of, of evangelicalism with regard to race and all of the things, right? So he said that there's a sense within the evangelical world, a lot of the fear is rising because there is a deep sense of having been given by God the authority and role of stewarding the faith. Yes. So evangelicals do actually approach the faith, maybe even God to some degree, as something that they are called to protect. Yes. So do you, is that your, do you resonate with that? I do. And just, just for, as a qualifier, I'm new to evangelicalism, actually, because mm -hmm. I grew up Pentecostal holiness. And that's right. Quest is my first experience in the evangelical world and meeting more evangelical people. And it's a wonder. And as I've been inside of this space for a little while now, 
I can 100% agree with what Dr. Sunchan Ra said, even to the even to the extent that I'm finding that white evangelical institutions and churches are willing to die by inflicting pain on others, even as they know it's going to harm themselves. Right. That's, that's exactly what's happening even with quest right now and the covenant church. And we're in a city here right now in real time, there's a private Christian academic institution, Seattle Pacific University, that is going through this, where their board is literally said, we will let this school die on the hill of human sexuality. Holy God. It is wild. My God. Wow. So can I ask you, what have you learned? What have you learned about the state of the evangelical church in the U.S. from this experience? I think it's just that I I feel like I noticed two things. It's this maintaining of power and an underlying fear. And that fear is dangerous. And we've seen that in the political realm too, right? This white evangelical ethos presumes that it should be in power, but then you, you see how much fear is operating underneath the surface, right? Even to the extent that they're willing to die in the hill for it. Yeah. I'm, I'm, you may know this, I've announced it on, on the socials that I'm in the middle right now of a PhD program Mm -hmm. and I'm getting my PhD in Christian social ethics. And and I'm in the middle right now of the first year, which is all classwork. And uh, I'm in the middle of a class right now on practical theology. And Mm -hmm. this week's reading was on reflexivity. In other words, mm. <laughs> like those big PhD words, reflexivity. Basically, what that means is that you reflect on yourself, right? Like you actually you think about yourself in relationship to the other and in relationship to to the theology that you are spinning, right? And you begin mm. to understand how much your own worldview and your own social position and your own all of the things yourself actually brings to the subject to the text, if you're looking at a text or to the work, if you're leading a church or in addition to all the things you've learned, right? But like, but nothing, nothing is done. Nothing is done in a vacuum or out of a box, right? Like it's, it's all rooted. And so the thing that really strikes me is that, yes, I guess, I guess the, the thing that strikes me out of today's conversation, it was literally today, we had this conversation earlier today in the class is that reflexivity requires humility. Mm. And I was, I, I, one of the things I said in the class was that it feels like, you know how like in the Catholic church, they have patron saints and sometimes mm-hmm. theologians will have core books that they always refer to. It seems to me that theologians and maybe even yay, like church leaders, that the patron passage for church leaders really should be Philippians 2. It should be... Mm the call for, to humility, to not see grasping to be equal with God as mm. the goal, right? But rather to empty oneself. What would it look like? What, what could it look like if theologians actually experienced reflexivity or engaged in that and, and if church leaders engaged in that? But the problem with humility is that it requires letting go of power. Yes, right? It does. Yeah, you cannot, yes. you cannot hold power and be humble 
humble enough to say, I don't know all things. And so I wonder, what have you learned about how power operates within the white evangelical church in the U.S.? And I think this is a critical question, so I really want you to think about this. My brain is going in multiple directions right now, <laughs> right? Like, A, what does it even look like for somebody who's always had power to not to know what it's like to not have power. I don't even know if that's even possible, but um, I feel like in my own experience, I can only speak from what I've experienced, but I feel like power in, in the white evangelical church that I've witnessed often will weaponize kind of the language or notions of kinship, of family, of community to maintain or control. Right. And they do this by using um, I've, I often hear in these circles language of loyalty Ooh. and community. And they use that then wow. to police what what could be seen as divisiveness or disloyalty or breaching trust. There's actually a thread going on in our covenant, our ECC Facebook page that I've wow. breached trust. What? Like, wh- what? What? Right? So they Wait use it. Like, <laughs> yes. Right? That I've so power inside these spaces, right? Also, it looks like what I found to be interesting, it looks like just getting to sit and not do anything too, right? People in power, they they hem and haw about policy changes, procedural shifts, and they just sit there because they don't want to be seen as bigots and all in the name of holding the centrist line or like we see both sides we want to come together um and then what happens but you see all the change makers and typically poc exhaust themselves yes eventually having to make a decision whether or not we're going to save ourselves or change the institution and that's exactly where quest has found itself right quest is a multi-church multi-racial most of our leadership our poc right. our elder board poc People are we going to keep doing this and you know, know. <laughs> right and keep going it's a, not a lot of the nice white folk in the ecc are like please can't you just help us change the institution you have the power to change and right now I'm looking at Lisa just with this <laughs> face. Like, really? Yeah, okay, I, got, I got the stank face on, me, on my face. I'm, it's the stank face. Like, what? So let me, let me just say, I need to share this story. Can I share this story? Yeah. So in, in 2017, I believe, was my last year. And it was the midwinter conference when all of this went down. And Oh, yeah. Remember that? And, yep. um, and you, had, you had LGBTQ people sitting out in the hallway, like, like sitting there in sackcloth and ashes and just saying, come up to me, please ask my story. Remember that? Like it was a whole thing that happened at this midwinter conference. And meanwhile, I'm literally there to take my very last class. And it only required one three-page paper. It was the easiest of all four classes. And it was actually about all the different ministries like that the ECC holds. And, um, And the thing that really blew my mind was that when it came down like we 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 had a private conversation by and this i'm sure happens almost in every denomination when you have these gatherings some people get together and say y'all what do you think about all that's going down and that's uh-huh. what happened we got together and said yo what what do we think about what's going down and in this room you had a bunch of people of color who are leaders and you had a, a bunch of people who are allies within the lgbtq community and others who who were lgbtq and the thing that 
that I, that just struck me is that the people of color have a lot of power in this denomination, actually, because the denomination prides itself, at least at that point, like the number one flagship thing it said to the world is we are the fastest diversifying denomination in the country. Right. And, and right. therefore we are special. We are an amazing, even though we're small, we are mighty because of our diversity. Right. Right. And if the folks of color were to stand up now and actually say, no, 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 we can't go this direction. You realize why da, 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 da. then, then it actually could have made a difference. But what happened was, what had happened was <laughs> a lot of the folks of color said, well, and I don't have any, I don't, look, I, this is all hearsay. This is hearsay. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. This part is hearsay. So I don't know that this happened, but this is what I was told is that folks of color need money for their, for their programs and they need support for their programs. And it was told to them that if they go along with 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 the denomination, their programs will be supported. But if they if they are disloyal, I didn't they didn't use that language, but there it is. If they are disloyal, if they push back against that, then their own programs for black folk and Latino folk and Asian folk would actually be vulnerable. And so I thought, wow, you know, so they this is savvy. This it is. is not this is not like do di do do we just believe in the scripture. <laughs> this yep, is right. power. This is using money and power to control. Yes. And so this is, I've had a lot of thoughts about this. My husband, Brian, and I talk about this all the time. And we literally see it playing out mm-hmm. in the covenant. You know, what? what's unique about the covenant, and I'll plug it for a second, Mm-hmm. Um, with its Swedish pietist roots, like while it's evangelical, there's something about their pietist roots that not only to value the centrality of the word, but also there's this deep dependence on the Holy Spirit. And so back in the day, it's this movement back to the spirit, right? From early on in our conversation, there's this dependence on the spirit. Oh, this is what's happening in the life of the church. We should we should be inclusive. We should diversify. We should adopt in more people, right? Bring in right. more people. And then what happens? But white evangelical white evangelicalism raises its head, now says we not only believe in the centrality of the Bible or authority of scripture, which is evangelical, and now racial justice and racial reconciliation, racial healing. Mm-hmm. But understanding that it's a kind of racial justice that's palatable to white people. Hello. So if you you notice though. Yes. Yes. Because my circles of black folk are very different than the black folk in the covenant. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, well, let me just say very quickly, the reason why I, I, well, maybe you should explain what you mean by that. mm -hmm. Uh, But how I hear what you just said is that your circles of black folk generally speaking, are coming out of, they are very rooted in the Black community and therefore have a sense of empowerment to move in whatever direction they want to move because they are not dependent on white dollars or white approval for their movement, for how they move in the world. But when you are talking about Black evangelicals that exist within a traditionally white institution, right? It's different because because it's a fight for proximity to white patriarchy. Hello, boy, you really said that. Go on, girl. Yep, it is. <laughs> and that. 
It is approximation to white patriarchy. And that looks like holding on to all those things, Mm -hmm. but and just enough affirmation of women, but not so much that it disrupts the patriarchy that exists in our own churches. Okay. Talk to us about that because one of the things that you stated- Oh, so on, this is the thing. It's, it's effective, right? It's This is effective. And we're seeing it in the covenant happening in real wow. time for white evangelical ethos. Because what happens then, you start, the last president was only able to do what he did and historically get the delegates to remove a church for the first time because we had an influx of people of color evangelicals. Wow. And th- that became a block a wedge and was used to weaponize against more expansive notions of belonging, AKA LGBTQ plus affirmation. And that got relegated then as a white people issue. So then if you think about white people just had to sit there, they white people in power just sat there and let the POC fight amongst themselves. You know who policed me the most? The POC. Oh yeah, no, hey. Now, the funny thing is, is that when I did a little survey back in 2017, I did just, you know, I went to person by person by person and I asked them, how do you feel about this? What do you think about this? To the person, they all said, oh, personally, I'm not, I'm not really, I haven't decided or, 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 I mean, I'm, I'm much more progressive than this personally, but there was always a but. Yeah. And that's, that's how POC gets used inside white evangelicals churches and spaces we get used as weapons and white evangelicalism i believe gets its power by poc evangelicals wow and certain kinds of poc girl you are so hitting my buttons right now because i mean i just had okay y'all so i just had a traumatizing experience working with another like in a whole other stream of the evangelical church a very conservative stream of the evangelical church um working with this white mega church pastor southern you know has has a reputation for being progressive in his ability to move between people groups and he has he has a stated value for racial reconciliation and yet homeboy treated me with the ethics of the plantation i mean it was straight See? up plantation ethics i was like what? And you know me, I didn't let that sit. I just called right. it out. And I wrote it. Right. I wrote, right. I wrote a letter, seven page letter <laughs> and CC'd some black pastors who he's working with on this. And do you know that they sided with him? Exactly. The only person, and the other person I CC'd, a white woman, she was like, what? This is so obviously wrong. But they sided with him. Why? I believe because they have an interest in his success. Because their success is tied to his success. There it is. There it is. Mm -hmm. And that's what we've been experiencing. That's what I've been experiencing. And you know what's really sad? And time and history shows us that eventually all of us get exhausted. And we'll find out. Because whiteness is so powerful. And if you're not careful, you'll get sucked into that and you will die and they won't care. Walking Freedom Road from coast to coast and around the globe, this is the Freedom Road Podcast.
So let's come back. I want to ask you one last question out of those, what are you, what have you learned questions? And I want to ask you, what have you learned about the movement of the Holy Spirit because of this experience? That's a, such a great question. <laughs> and it's I not one that I gave you before. So No, I, I mean, I, th- I love this question because I think it's, it's ever present. Mm. And I feel it even in this moment, in everything that our church is going through, that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is always life-giving. Mm. Always life-breathing. Wow. The spirit is always expanding. Mm, even in Asking, the middle of people trying to contract. Exactly. I mean, the, the spirit sp- expands. Yeah. Right? When I think about Acts 2 kind of spirit, it's, we don't know how people are hearing the language that we're speaking, but it says that people are hearing the words we're saying in their own native tongue. And we don't know. So it's this, it's this posture of, We don't know, and yet God is moving. And it's this releasing of certainty. It's this releasing of control and surrendering to the power and the life-giving healing and redemption that is present in the work of the Spirit. And that is humbling. That should be awe-inspiring. And that should make us over and over again recognize our our humanity and our createdness and our creatureliness and that we are not God at the end of the day. Mm. So what is next for Quest Church? Our theme right now is co-create. And that's why we made this decision in this season. We had a theme of making room Mm -hmm. and entered into a year of talking about how do we co-create something more beautiful together. I think for me, with three kids who are in their mid-20s, young 20s, late teens, asking myself, what am I doing in my power? I have power. I have privilege as the lead pastor of this church, and I recognize it, and I own it. And the question I'm having to ask myself is, what am I going to do with this power? I can no longer be in a place of complaining about the church, but I have power to do something about the church that will leave a legacy of abundance for the next generation. I want my children and their friends to feel like they have a place that the church is for them, Mm -hmm. that the church is not something of the past, but there is something redeeming and healing in the body of Christ. And what am, what am I called? What are we called as a church to do? One local church mm. to create space, to make room, mm. to, to, to proclaim a gospel of an expansive kingdom that is for everyone. I love that. And it's funny because I was at this retreat over the weekend, actually not a retreat. It was, well, it was, it was a retreat for a board, like a board retreat. And my role was to give the talk on Sunday. And at the end of it, I served communion, even though I am not ordained because Mm -hmm. I walked away from the ECC three, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, three pages away from ordination, three page paper away from ordination. But I felt, I felt the Holy Spirit with me in the serving of that communion. And I've never done it before. And these were the words that came out. 
as I was serving the cranberry juice and Wonder Bread, because <laughs> that's what we had at our retreat center. It was, this is the broken body of brown Jesus. Hmm. Killed by empire. Killed hmm. by colonizers. And those who had an interest in protecting empire. Hmm. Take, eat, and remember. Oof. And it hit me. It struck me. I was like, that's, that is church. That's the actual church. When we can take and eat that and remember. And I wonder how many young people who are streaming from the church now, because it's become the church of empire, would be attracted to that church. Mm, I think that's what's motivating me. We're finding at Quest influx of young people, young people of color. A lot of our LGBTQ plus siblings are from communities of color, BIPOC, just desperate for a place Mm. that can redeem the narrative that they grew up with. And even as they walk through the door, many of them telling me to my face, this is the last chance I'm giving God and the church. Mm. And then them telling us and testifying to the fact that this feels like home for them. That I, as a pastor, my heart goes out to people who've been wounded by people mm-hmm. that represent God mm. in the world. Mm-hmm. And oh, I, I find it a beautiful work. Mm. And a deeply honoring and privileged space to be able to proclaim good news each and every week. And when these young people, and we do communion every week, Lisa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we do in my, my church too. I, and, I I attend St. Thomas Episcopal Church here in Philly. Mm-hmm. It was the first mm-hmm. Black Episcopal Church, speaking of expansive moves of the mm-hmm. Holy Spirit back mm-hmm. in 1792 <laughs> when it was established. Wow out of that very first walkout that created the black church in America, when the white church thought that black folk should not be able to pray at the same altar as white people, which was how the black church was born. And the Holy Spirit said, get thee up from thine seats and walk the hell out. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Cut the ties, cut the ties (laughs) and look Look what was born. Wow. Look what was born. Can I ask you, what is your prayer for the ECC? I pray two things. Mm -hmm. A deep sense of humility. Mm -hmm. And in that, a hope that they would return back to their roots of pietism, of depending on the Holy Spirit. And again, that's one of those things where The spirit can't be controlled, but we follow. My prayer is that they might walk a little more like Jesus and less like the disciples. Ooh. And what is your prayer for the evangelical church in the U.S. at large? That's a hard one for me. Mm -hmm. That they would allow God to be God. Mm. And trust that our task 
as followers of Jesus is to love and to serve and to abide with people. I pray for a spirit of generosity mm. and abundance instead of scarcity mm-hmm. and a belief that God's kingdom is expansive and enough. And what is your prayer for the LGBTQIA plus two-spirit community? Yeah, that they would know that their belovedness in God and that they are valued, that the church that has harmed them is not everybody's witness, that there are people and churches in the world and in America and in their city and in their neighborhood Mm. that see them and that love them and welcome them. Mm -hmm. Um, And that they wouldn't lose hope in God because of the people who speak in the name of God. That's good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what is your prayer for the world, for our world? My prayer for our world is very simple, I think, just for a greater sense of our collective humanity. That what affects one inevitably affects another. And with the access of the internet and, you know, that the world has become smaller to us, Mm -hmm. has become closer, and that ought to mean something. Yeah, so that's my prayer for a collective sense of our humanity. The conversations leaders have on the road to justice. This is the Freedom Road Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. The Freedom Road Podcast is recorded in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and wherever our guests lay their head at night. This episode was engineered and edited and produced by Corey Nathan of Scan Media and Freedom Road Podcast is executive produced by Freedom Road LLC. We consult, coach, train, and design experiences that bring common understanding, common commitment, and lead to common action. You can find out more about our work at our website, freedomroad.us. Stay in the know by signing up for our updates, which is on Substack. So everybody, say with me once, Substack! <laughs> That's where you can actually reach out and where you can get every month we put out actually a few different times a newsletter every month, but we do not flood your inbox. So don't worry about that. And it's actually cool because not only now is the Freedom Road Substack the place where you can find my own column, which is called The Truth Is, but also we have featured articles by many of our writers in the Global Writers Group. And we also have announcements about things that are coming down the pike that you should be aware of. So make sure you sign up for our newsletter at Substack. Now, we are about to go over and jump over into a Patreon conversation that we have for our patrons and also for our Substack subscribers. So we invite you to listen again at the podcast next month. And if you're on Patreon, check us out over there. It's a behind the scenes conversation on Freedom Road.